Hi, I'm Chelsea Monroe-Castle, author of the new Star Trek cookbook and many other fandom cookbooks, and you are listening to Trek Untold. Welcome back to Trek Untold, the Star Trek podcast that goes beyond the stars. I'm your host, Matthew Kaplowitz. There's a few things that I'm obsessed with asking my guests on this show, especially the ones who performed on screen on Star Trek shows. And no, it's not just my obsession with Murder, She Wrote or Golden Girls, although yes, obviously that is clearly a big part of this show. It's not often I get to ask this exact question, but whenever I see someone on screen eating food, I have to know what it was made from. And you could trace that back to my very first episode of this podcast with Caitlin Hopkins when she played Kalana and she was eating some kind of weird food. And whenever I see someone stuffing their face in some kind of space food, I have to find out what the deal is with it. Now, when I'm not watching Star Trek, I enjoy the art of cuisine. And when I can combine that with my fandom, well, that's a game changer. And that leads us to today's guest, Chelsea Monroe Castle. Chelsea is a New York Times bestselling author and the author of the new Star Trek cookbook. This culinary adventure in the final frontier is almost 200 pages of recipes inspired by the five-decade-plus-long history of Star Trek. That includes how to make yamak sauce, plomeek soup, ratamba stew, brocake blood pie, hasprat, and yes, even gach. Heck, I'll take this one step further. There's actually a recipe for those weird colored blocks you used to see Kirk and his crew eat on the original series. Back then, those cubes were just literally plastic blocks, but now Chelsea has actually figured out how to make them edible, and man, they're actually really good. Beyond this book, Chelsea has also written the cookbooks for Game of Thrones, World of Warcraft, Skyrim, Overwatch, and the Star Wars Galaxy, just to name a few. So Chelsea is pretty darn deep in the world of combining food with fandom. I'm really excited to share this interview with you today and have her talk all about this really great book that I've tried a few recipes for, and legit, they are really good. So tell Neelix to take a break because we're tying the apron on and stepping into the Starfleet kitchen with Chelsea Monroe Castle. But before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you to follow Trek Untold on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Trek Untold, all one word. You can get show updates, check out some fun memes, and let me know what you think about what's going on with the current events in the Star Trek universe. You can also support this show directly on Patreon at patreon.com slash trekuntold where you can support this show for as little as $2 a month. At higher tiers, you can listen to the shows before they come out, know about my guests well in advance, and even have a chance to ask them questions, get transcripts of these episodes to make sure you get all the info, and more benefits coming soon, including watch parties and live streams. But that's all dependent on more fans like you coming over and letting me know you want to be a part of events like that. If you want some Trek Untold merchandise, check out our Teespring store for gear and apparel, including shirts, hats, stickers, water bottles, notebooks, and a whole lot more. New designs will be added throughout the year, so it's always worth taking a peek. Trek Untold also has an Amazon shop where you can peruse everything Star Trek, sci-fi, and geeky on Amazon in one convenient location. If you're looking for a gift for the Trekkie in your life, or maybe want to see some of my favorite non-Star Trek things that you can get for yourself, check out the link for my Amazon shop in the show notes on the audio version and in the description below this video on YouTube. If you're listening to us on iTunes or any other audio platforms that allow for ratings and reviews, please leave us a five-star rating and a positive review to help out this show. If you're watching it on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe to us at youtube.com slash nerdnewstoday. 
and give the video a thumbs up and a comment. All of these things help more people find this show and to continue growing and bringing you awesome guests each and every week. Now, without further ado, let's beam in this week's guest. Computer, access interview file. And welcome back to Trek Untold. And now joining me on the other side of the screen, she has written recipe books for Game of Thrones, for Warcraft, for Firefly, for Star Wars, Skyrim. And now at last, she can add Star Trek to that list. She is the author of the Star Trek cookbook. We are joined today by Chelsea Monroe Castle. Chelsea, how's it going today? Hi, thanks so much for having me. It's going great. I want to like add a subtitle to the name of that book just because it's such a great book name. Like Star Trek Cookbook is pretty affirmative of what it is, but I want to be like Flavors of the Final Frontier or something like that. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted. Yeah. And then it, I think it would have been slightly less confusing given that <laughs> there's already a Star Trek Cookbook. Um, so now it's like there's the Neelix Cookbook and the other one, uh, <laughs> you know, but it's like just a little need a catchphrase. Yeah. You're not wrong. We'll, we'll talk about the Neelix cookbook for sure, but yeah, no, it, it's a great book. Uh, I got a copy of it, and I, I'm enjoying it so much. Awesome. And, yeah, and, and yeah, we're going to talk all about this today, but let's first jump into uh, some, some basic background questions I ask all my guests here. Uh, and Chelsea, I want to ask you, what's your earliest memory of Star Trek? Did you grow up as a kid watching the show? I did, yeah. I grew up uh, watching Next Gen with mostly my dad. Uh, my mom would watch sometimes with us. Um, but it was, you know, it was like the weekly, one of our weekly shows. So it's... it's been a long road. Uh, <laughs> uh, every single truck out there just fell in love with you for saying that. They know you're legit now. Yeah. <laughs> I do my best. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let's, let's get a little bit about your background, if you don't mind. Uh, I'd like to know where you were born, who your parents are, and what they do. Uh, and what did little Chelsea want to be when she grew up? Did she always know she was going to be making food for a living? No, definitely not. No, I was uh, a picky eater uh, for most of my childhood. I was one of those obnoxious ones. I only ate mac and cheese or peanut butter. And that was pretty much it. Uh, Did you eat them together or is that separately? No, separately. Thank you. Okay. Just making Uh, sure. Yeah. No, that's, that would be sacrilege. Um, I grew up in upstate New York, uh, Western New York, way over. Um, And in the country. uh, So love nature. That's how I ended up back in Vermont. Uh, Just get away from it all kind of. Best part of Vermont is also the worst part of Vermont. There aren't that many people. Yeah. So it's really great until you're looking for people and there aren't any. Uh, but it's also very familiar feeling. So it's it's nice to just have a laid back place to live. Yeah. Now, were, were your parents involved in the culinary arts at all? Uh, not really. Um, my dad is an enthusiastic eater, uh, <laughs> if that counts. Um, that counts. He's in, he's in good company with George Martin, you know, who says he can't cook but loves to eat. Um, that man loves his suspenders uh, food was sort of practical uh, except for holidays I think that's the probably the exception Um, because we always do sort of big dinners and fancy stuff for holidays and uh, you know lots of cookies so many cookies around the holidays so that was always really great so when did you figure out you wanted to do cooking for a living writing cookbooks that kind of thing I mean when was that moment just had the light bulb turn on and be like ah that's what I want to do it was sort of an accident um so I, before that happened, I did a year abroad in Turkey, which cured me of being a picky eater because it's some of the best food in the world. Um, and I mean, there's no way I could have survived as a picky eater through that. I was just, it was too tempting. Everything was too good. So I got back from that. And then several years later, uh, a friend and I started a Game of Thrones food blog. Um, and so that's really where things kicked off with this whole thing. And that's the end of the crossroads, right? That is. Yep. Um, 
which is still, I haven't updated it because I've been busy with cookbooks for years and I do kind of miss it, but uh, it's evolved over the years to have foods from Star Wars and Elder Scrolls and lots of different worlds. Um, so whenever I can't resist making something, it does go up on the blog eventually. Um, but that was, yeah, that's, that's where we sort of got the bug. And then uh, it fortuitously that we started the blog right before the first season of Game of Thrones aired. And so the views just skyrocketed. George Martin heard about it, um, snowballed into a cookbook deal. And so I've been doing it ever since. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, I'm wondering now, though, I mean, are you like a professionally trained chef? Like, did you go to some fancy culinary school or you're like a home trained cook? Home trained. Yeah. Home trained. Okay. Um, but I think in many ways that maybe it, it works right in a certain way, because if I can make it, anybody can make it. Cause I, I don't have that training, you know, I don't have specialty knife skills even, <laughs> or uh, fancy equipment, especially it's just pretty much what everybody has in their kitchen, I think. And you'd be shocked the tiny uh, Boston apartment kitchen that we managed to write the game of Thrones cookbook in. So <laughs> Uh, that can happen there. Anything's possible. Yeah, I'm pretty much a home trained cook as well. And like most of my teachers, I would say, were like PBS teachers. I got like Jacques Pan, I got uh, Julia Child, Lydia Bastianich. Nice. Uh, were, you, were you like someone that watched all those TV shows too? Yeah, yeah. I've always liked watching cooking shows. I have um, just sort of Great British Bake Off on a loop sometimes while I'm in a cooking zone. Um, I like the. I like that because it's a good mix of, you know, got to get things done by the deadline, which helps keep me rolling. But it's also very kind. It's kinder than a lot of the American cooking shows, I think. Um, and it, we all need a little kindness. Uh, it's maybe why we like Star Trek so much. So. <laughs> I want to spend a little bit of time and talk about some of your other books before we jump into the Star Trek cookbook, because they are also really cool and super nerdy. And I feel like we'd be remiss not to highlight them in some way, too. And you already mentioned the Game of Thrones cookbook and kind of the impetus for how that got started. But, uh, you know, let's talk about the process here. Cause you are, you know, as we mentioned now, you're a home cook. So you're not like classically trained. You didn't go to like the CIA or anything like that. Right. You're just like, you know, like me, you're someone who learned how to do this stuff on your own and decided to turn it into a book. That has got to be a daunting task though. I mean, it's one thing to do a blog and you kind of have your own freedom to do things at your own yeah. pace, but now you're writing a book. Right. So that has got to be pressure. Talk to me about your very first book, what it's like to do it and how the heck you put that thing together. Oh, absolutely. No, we did not know what we were doing. Uh, <laughs> but obviously, if somebody says, would you like to write a Game of Thrones cookbook? You say yes. And so we did. Um, but it was talk about a steep learning curve from right from the start all the way through. Um, and every subsequent project I've done, I've learned a huge amount about either photography or lighting or the cooking part or food styling, you know, you name it. Um, there's always so much more to learn and so much more that a person can grow. Um, that first one, you know, we didn't know, we didn't even know how to write a recipe really. You know, we, as you say, we've been putting things on the blog, but it's a lot more forgiving um, in terms of formatting and how people receive it and everything like that. So um, that very, very steep learning curve. And that was, you know, cooking, testing recipes all day, every day, and then inviting friends over to try to eat enough food to make room in the fridge for the next day of just cooking straight through. Um, it was exhausting, but also incredible. I mean, what a, an amazing opportunity. So um, wouldn't trade it for anything, but whew, 
uh, glad it's gotten a little more streamlined. Uh, <laughs> yeah, like when Julia Childs wrote her very first book, the, I think the initial draft was like 800, 900 pages long. Her and her writing partner, mm-hmm. it was this enormous tome. Uh, and you know, it was just such a pain to actually get it broken down into something that's more manageable for, I guess at that point when it was written, like for the, for the home cook essentially too. Right. Right. Um, so yeah, I mean, for you, you have no idea how to do this necessarily. Right. So right. you're not only is that you're making the recipes, you got to cook and do all that work. You also got to write. Right. Yes. So, <laughs> so again, like, like talk to me about that. Like it's a lot going on here. There really is a lot more I think that people understand how to, what goes into oh, a cookbook. Absolutely. So, and it, yeah. I always joke that, you know, by the time I've tested a recipe a couple of times and hopefully gotten a good photograph of it. I'm like, I don't know what it tastes like anymore. Just make it yourself. It's good. Just trust me that it's good. Go, just go make it, (laughs) you know, but so much of the writing is really immersing the reader in the world. And, and if you'll pardon the pun, setting the table for uh, how the food fits into that particular world. Um, You know, the photographs do a huge amount for that in terms of sort of grounding it in the feel and the aesthetic of things. But people in fandoms, as you may know, uh, are often very detail oriented. Uh, so you don't say uh, it's very appreciated. I think when you go the extra mile and add a little more effort and, um, you know, include some Easter eggs or, um, you know, just, just make it fun for the people who do sit down and read it. Lots of people, I think, probably never read the head notes and the the lore and everything else on a recipe, uh, which is slightly demoralizing to think about. But a lot of people also do read them. And for those people, I try to get them up to snuff. I am one of those people that does read those because that adds so much to the recipe. And like, yeah, you know, when we get to the Star Trek cook, we'll, we'll talk about that. But there's clearly a lot of love for the fandom in there and for Star oh. Trek. But you know, on the topic of Game of Thrones, you know, George R.R. R. Martin, Gurham, he has a lot of info about his food in his books. Yes. I mean, that man loves his eel pies. Yes. Um, but, you know, there's not necessarily like straight up recipes or things like that. Uh, so, you know, for Game of Thrones and many of the high sword and sorcery franchises that you've worked on, how do you know what actually goes into the food? And how do you keep it, I'm going to just say, quote unquote, accurate to right. what would be in that universe? And then also what us normies who live in this world have? Sure. Well, for something like Game of Thrones, I actually do a lot of historical recipes. Um, And so I forget specific examples, but every now and then I stumble onto a cookbook and I think, wait a minute, I think this might be where George Martin pulled some of his food ideas for such and such a book. Um, In which case it's like, it's genius. It's so easy. You say, well, this is that and this is that. And so you start there and make some substitutions for... um, you know, if we can't get oryx, for example, which uh, are extinct in our world, but not in Martin's, um, or, you know, the eels, it's, well, I don't live near the Great Lakes, so I can't get lamprey. Apparently, if you live there, you can, and it's very straightforward. Um, but I'm also not going to order a 50-pound bucket, which is what I found you could do the last time I looked into making the eel pies. And it's just, I'm I'm not there. I'm just not there right now. <laughs> It's on my bucket list someday, but maybe I'll I'll go to England and just eat one and call it a day. Uh, <laughs> write a blog post about that. Fair enough. But yeah, yeah it's, uh, for all the books, um, and especially as you say, we'll get to the sci-fi stuff, but it's always a balance between making it authentic to the world, making it taste good or good enough in the case of Klingon food, um, and 
making it accessible. You know, I don't want, I don't want to throw a lot of molecular gastronomy at people and make them go out and buy 10 different unique ingredients to make one dish. Um, that's not kind, I think. <laughs> um, but it also has to, you know, it can't just be like cheeseburgers with a funny name. Um, it's gotta, it's gotta be real. I think I, you know, fictionally real. Yeah. Authentic. Somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of funny to mention that because I wanted to ask you about accessibility of writing a cookbook like this and in general writing for a franchise, you know, a licensed franchise. Because, you know, when I think of uh, cookbooks, for example, one of the ones I have that's not a good one at all. Uh, I have the old WWF Can You Take the Heat cookbook, <laughs> which was written by Jim Ross. And the whole concept was that it was supposed to be like the wrestlers giving their family recipes. And, right. you know, it's a really great idea. The problem is none of the wrestlers did it. So <laughs> Jim Ross had yeah. to figure out all this stuff for himself. And the recipes range from basically basic to less than basic. I mean, there's literally a recipe in there for big boss man's cookies and it's get a package of pre-packed cookie dough from the freezer section, open it, follow instructions. I'm not joking. That's the recipe. So, now, thankfully you don't do that. No, <laughs> Your recipes actually no. involve some, some actual cookery. Oh yes. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like, we stopped shy of that for sure. Um, that's very funny. And uh, true. Yeah. Check it out. You got to look up that book. It's yeah. a great book. It's so awful. Uh, so awful for so many reasons. I love it. But I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> When you're thinking about accessibility, I mean, how do you actually get that into the world of the license things? I mean, how, how important is accessibility to what you're doing? To me, it's very important, um, such that, you know, if I ask people for the Star Wars cookbook, for example, um, Galaxy's Edge, uh, if I ask them to buy one weird ingredient, I try to use it two or three times throughout mm -hmm. the cookbook. So you don't just have this package of blue butterfly pea flower tea sitting in your pantry that you're never going to use for anything again. You know, so that I think goes into at least three recipes in that cookbook, maybe more, at least three. Um, everything gets jumbled up in my brain after a while. It's I'm talking to you about Star Trek today, but I'm working on a new Game of Thrones cookbook. And so my head is a mess. Uh, OK, understandable. <laughs> now, yeah. So keeps things interesting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm curious too to ask about this other book you have on your resume. That's the Firefly cookbook. Because, yes. you know, Star Trek is one thing. It's like 56 years of history to work with. Firefly yeah. is one small season and a movie and that's it. How the heck did you write a whole book about that? Uh, it was a challenge. Um, but for that one, I love that one. It, that one was very much, um, it's a very shiny book. Love. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I divided that one into, um, Oh God, what was it? It was like the, like the outer planets, right? Sort of the wild west frontier feel uh, recipes on board the ships and then sort of the hoity-toity recipes. Um, and all of the characters, the, the conceit is that all the characters have contributed some of their favorite recipes, like the WWE, but <laughs> because they're fictional, they came through for me, I guess. Um, but uh, there are little snippets of blurbs uh, in front of each recipe that um, are in the voices of the characters. And that was an absolute delight to be able to work on that. And just, especially with River. Uh, <laughs> and she's, she's so nutty. And it's just like, what do you, what do you do? What do you add if you are River to a cookbook? Uh, and what do you say about it? Um, so uh, that was a blast. Um, I think not a, it's not one of the, biggest selling cookbooks I've done, but it's one that's very close to my own heart. Um, so I just, 
every bit of that was lovely to work on. Yeah, and, and obviously all of these cookbooks are in the theme of geeky, nerdy stuff out there. Uh, so I'm wondering, you know, of all those things you've written in the books, do any of those are any of those recipes things that you eat yourself normally? Are, they is are, there anything that you cook yes. for your family from those books? Um, yeah, and it's it's a mix. Um, about a year ago, my husband and I, like many people, got bored of pandemic cooking. Uh, <laughs> you got tired of making bread every single day, right? Um, <laughs> it's uh, that was after the great yeast shortage, um, but uh, the great sourdough scare of 2021. Oh, I tell you, that was that was something to watch. Um, <laughs> but the uh, we had this very funny moment where we're like, we just really need some really good new recipes in our our lineup. If only we knew. We both sort of like, wait a minute, you write cookbooks for a living. Like, what's wrong with us? And so we went to the cupboard and we went through and we like tagged all of our favorites. Um, so yeah, I've, we've got a handful of favorites that sort of we circle through periodically. Um, but it's just, it's a very funny moment. We're like, but where would we even find new food? Um, <laughs> uh, it's this giant stack of books. Uh, it's a good starting place. Well, let's name some names. What are some of the books and recipes that uh, you're going to right now that, that are your, your special nerd foods that you're making? I I mean, back to the Firefly cookbook. There are a lot of really rock solid recipes in that. The um, one that we really like, I had actually had the hankering for today, um, was the uh, South Down Abbey couscous. So it's large Israeli couscous roasted vegetables. And it's so simple. And I don't know why we don't make this every week. It's just, it's so filling and satisfying and lovely. Uh, it's, so I th think we've got to gotta just write that in. Like every Wednesday, that's what we're having or something. It's just, and it's very changeable, you know, that's, I like that with recipes too. I don't, I don't want or expect anybody to keep making the recipes exactly as they're written because that's no fun. Um, I think it's much more entertaining if you know you say well we don't have this at home but we have this or i wonder if we add these spices to that recipe what would that be like innovate food should be fun and that's that's ultimately what i'm trying to bring to everybody's kitchen is make food a little more fun yeah i think it's really cool that you basically went back to your own creations and are trying them out again i mean that's that's kind of a fun thing to do and to know that you did those and did all that work and to enjoy them years later that's, that's a fun feeling well and it it definitely takes a little buffer time in the middle to uh, you know, be separated enough from the effort that goes into each cookbook yeah. to then be able to go back and enjoy it. It was actually weirdly cathartic. Uh <laughs> it's a pretty personal thing that you're doing too. I mean, even though you're writing licensed franchises, it still is, you know, you're, yeah. it's going to sound weird, but you're eating your babies. So I mean, yes. yeah, you got to come to terms with that. <laughs> very much. Um, and uh, it it's very strange to go back. Well, it's also nice though, because Oftentimes, you know, I finish one, I get a little bit of downtime, and then I turn around and jump straight into another franchise. Um, so it, it, I don't actually get a chance necessarily to go back all that often because I have to keep going somewhere new. Hmm. So that was a really nice chunk of time there. Yeah, outside of the the fandoms that you're writing stuff for too, I want to have uh, I guess let's talk about a ratatouille moment for you, if you will. Like, you know, because I'm thinking that that scene where the food critic eats the ratatouille at the end yeah. of the movie and he just goes into the whole time warp. Uh, so you know, I'd like to get an idea, I guess, a bit more about your own personal palate and what you like and what those, mm. you know, what dictates your decision. So for you, what are some of those like food moments, those iconic flavors or meals that you remember that maybe you think has influenced some of what you've written? Mm. An easy one is probably uh, wandering through the Spice Bazaar in Istanbul mm. um, because it's both ancient and otherworldly. It's just like 
the coolest thing ever. Um, and you're like, it's just been there like this um, forever. It feels like, um, and you know, these big sacks of colorful spices and dried rose petals and more kinds of baklava than you knew existed in the world. Um, and you can occasionally get samples until they start recognizing you. Uh, <laughs> but, um, so that, that for me is one, because I always, when I'm developing recipes for a fictional setting, I always try to think about, you know, where does their food come from? Where do they have something like a spice bazaar? Do they, what do their markets look like? Um, what's the climate even, you know, what does the trade look like? Um, things like that. And some worlds, you know, are not not developed enough for that to really be fleshed out. Something like Game of Thrones absolutely is. Um, and so it's a lot of fun to really delve into that and see like, all right, so if you're making lemon cakes in Winterfell, how do you get the lemons that far north? What form are they taking? Are they dried? Are they fresh? Are they candied? Are they, you know, is it lemon curd on cake? You know, and just sort of tossing around even just that one little notion, like, um, how far can you sail with lemons before they go bad? You know, and it's in what season does that make a difference? Um, things like that. And so I think that worlds in which you can really sort of dig into that a little bit more are really fun to cook in because you've got so much to work with. I think especially, you know, if, if we're going to go back to sci-fi, because that's what this show is about, you know, I think the Star Wars uh, Galaxy's Edge cookbook, especially it's, that's some real outworldly stuff there. And uh, yes. know, I, feel like, I feel like that, like, like you mentioned before, that has some real, um, I don't want to say more complicated elements to it, but you do have some more things to work with that are kind of more out there. Yes, very much. Um, yeah. And it sort of the, I think it, Something I haven't explored much, um, but, but would be fun at some depth point, not under deadline, uh, <laughs> is, um, you know, something like Star Wars has so many of these alien species wandering around the streets at any given time. Like, what does their food look like? You know, if if you've got a, a mouth up here, like, you're not using a bowl or a plate the way normal people, like, even just down to things like that, um, so, you know, how does that affect what food you eat and how you eat it? Uh, I think would be crazy fun to go into. <laughs> Trek Untold will return momentarily. Trek Untold is sponsored by Triple Fiction Productions. Celebrating 15 years in business in 2023, TFP creates 3D printed Star Trek and sci-fi inspired items that fit into any collection. Whether you're a cosplayer who wants a Starfleet phaser, a Bajoran tricorder, or a Klingon dagger, or a toy collector looking for that special accessory or diorama to make your figures truly stand out, Triple Fiction Productions has exactly what you need. And for you figure fanatics, that includes products that are the perfect size for Galoob, Mego, Playmates, and everything in between. All products are 3D printed in the U.S., with new designs constantly being updated on their website. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, which is a great way to save money as you build your collection. Repeat customers can sign up for TFP's loyalty program for free, where the more you order, the more discounts you receive. TFP also has a pay what you want section, where clearance or misprinted items are available at a discounted price. Best of all, every product can be shipped worldwide. As a special bonus for listeners of this show, Trek Untold, 
has a special discount code just for you. Enter UNTOLD10 at checkout for 10% off of all orders with no minimum purchase required. That's 10% off using UNTOLD10. To see all of their products, head to triple-fictionproductions.net. Or to stay up to date on their newest products, find them on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Triple Fiction Productions, where something is only impossible until it happens. Hi, I'm Braden. And I'm Connie. We're the hosts of the fun-filled food podcast, Epicurean Unicorn. On Epicurean Unicorn, we converse with food industry professionals. Uh, Connie, aren't we food industry professionals? That is what we tell people. Okay, all kidding aside, on Epicurean Unicorn, we bring our combined 40 years of food industry experience directly to you through conversations with other industry professionals. We focus on bringing you inspiring stories and current topics that are affecting the foods you enjoy every day. Plus, there's a lot of fun banter. Um, only on the episodes without you, Brayden. Hey! If you've ever wondered how to make the best banana sandwich, or if there is a library dedicated to sourdough... Uh, spoiler, there is. Or what the future of sustainability in the food industry looks like... Then this is the podcast for you. Do both your ear holes and your pie hole a favor and check out Epicurean Unicorn, a podcast for food lovers from food industry professionals. You can find and subscribe to Epicurean Unicorn on all major podcast platforms. You can also check out our crazy work adventures on all social media by searching at Parados US. Nailed it. Uh, Brayden, that's a different show we aren't affiliated with. But Jacques Therese was on episode three. Check it out on all major podcast platforms. Well, anyway. Epicurean Unicorn, a magical adventure for foodies everywhere. Listen anywhere quality podcasts are found. Bye. That's not how we sign off. Bye. Be seeing Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Well, Chelsea, let's beam into our Star Trek discussion right now. Let's finally talk about the Star Trek cookbook. Great book. Uh, you know, I feel like, you know, we just mentioned a little bit, a few moments ago, in fact, the, uh, the Star Wars cookbook. And I feel like the Star Trek cookbook is like the perfect culmination of the different elements we've kind of talked about so far. Because you do have that really technical sci-fi world that's really out there. Uh, but you've also kind of reined in. There's not like as many crazy ingredients, let's say, uh, as Ooh. you would have seen in the Star Wars book. So it's kind of like the right. perfect marriage of, I think, just all your experiences you've done it with, with writing cookbooks. So uh, that's that's my initial compliment to you. But let, let's get nice. to the nitty gritty here. Yeah, it's, uh, it's awesome. Oh, like we it. should read it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, yeah, so what was the reason you wanted to do the Star Trek cookbook? Well, I think any world that is so beloved by fans um, and has been around for 50 odd years, uh, is something worth exploring in a new way, you know? And I think people, that's why people turn to cosplay maybe or prop making or um, things like that. You know, the, I'm an avid lurker on the star Wars room builders page on Facebook because I just love seeing people create things. I think it's the coolest. And so if I can create things and bring that to other people, I think that, that's not only a delight to me, but it's also, it is an honor. Like it's a, it's a lot to take on for such a beloved franchise. Um, so, you know, stakes were high for this one. I was aware <laughs> every step of the way. <laughs> um, so I, I definitely wanted to try very hard to get it right for the fans. I kind of like the analogy you made too, because it's almost like cooking is your cosplay, essentially. Like that's your way to yes. show the fandom <laughs> you're into. Yeah. And like, 
I really like baking in my spare time. I don't like cooking that much. Um, for me, it's ironically, uh, it's about the the process and sort of shepherding these recipes into existence. Um, that's that's what really brings me joy and satisfaction in the whole process. Now, we mentioned when we first started talking here, there is another Star Trek cookbook, mm-hmm. uh, which I've also got in my collection. Uh, you know, it, it is from a long, long time ago in that era referred to as the 90s. Uh, so, you know, it's a very different cookbook, though. It's a pretty different kind of cookbook. In that it cookbook, is. like, you know, they actually went, uh, Ethan Phillips was one of the authors, and he went and actually, uh, allegedly, I should say, we'll see if, if you actually talk to folks, but, you know, he got recipes from the stars, uh, yeah, which, yeah. you know, I, I am curious about the validity of them, but different podcast interview. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, but it's a pretty different book here. So, I mean, did you want to do a book that was like that Star Trek cookbook from the 90s, or was your plan to always be kind of different and do it your way? Um, I always wanted to. I always wanted to do it my way, um, especially insofar as I love doing in-world cookbooks. Yeah. Um, and I feel like as as wonderful and in many ways ahead of its time as the Neelix cookbook was, it couldn't quite decide what it was trying to be. So it's got like author recipes, but it's also got character recipes. And then it's got really cool behind the scenes stuff, which I did read and referenced uh when available for my cooking but it never to me it never quite comes together it's like uh a fascinating mishmash and i've heard only really good things from other fans you know who've cooked from it um and so you know this this was not in any way meant to replace that cookbook mine was not meant that um but because it is such a big world and a big fandom i definitely thought there was room for an updated version. Um, so when the, the publishers got in touch and they're like, we have an idea. It's like, Oh, do tell. <laughs> uh, because I also have an idea and I have this spreadsheet already <laughs> on my computer. So let's talk, which is often the case with many of these big like dream projects is I've, uh, I've already made lists <laughs> before <laughs> they ever get in touch. Cause I just can't help it. I mean, that's really cool though, that you're passionate about all the fandoms and, you know, like I, I do like, especially, and I, and I do appreciate, like I said, I read those little blurbs at the start of every recipe. Cause I really like that everything is in world and you kind of set the tone from the start of the book mm. that, you know, this is what it is. This is the world you're part of. It's not just going to be a flat recipe book. It's, it's not like we're reading some like Ming Tsai book where he's going to take you to his, you know, lifetime experiences as a right. chef. Like we're, right. we're talking about Star Trek. And so you're telling yeah. folks we're talking Star Trek while we talk about food. And I, I, yeah. I do love that you do that. Yeah. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah. And that was definitely the aim is it, you know, I think food, because it, it triggers many of our senses, um, is a really neat way to take people closer to a fictional setting. And so I think if you can do that, um, like why, why not almost, you know, um, I think it's a really neat way to explore something that people are maybe a little more familiar with. So you decide that you're doing this book, you get picked up, you're now locked in, you got the contract signed, ready to go, but you got 56 years at this point as this interview's coming out. It's like 56 wow. years of research to do, right? So like, yes. how do you actually do the research for a franchise this enormous? How do you figure out what the heck you're going to make? Where do you even begin? Because that's overwhelming. I mean, you said you got spreadsheets, but it's got to start somewhere to yeah. get stuff on those spreadsheets. Yep. Well, first you fall to your knees and you thank profusely the people who keep up to date memory alpha and memory beta. Because without them, this cookbook would not exist. And the same goes for many, many other franchises and 
the people who meticulously update all of that information. Because from that, you know, I can go to the food and drink categories and generate a full list of everything ever seen or mentioned uh, in every show. Um, and in many cases, the books, the comics, the animated series, what have you. So that's step one, right? Um, the, the big master list of everything. Then I pare it down into a couple of secondary tertiary lists, things I know people will expect to see and will be disappointed if they're left out. The plomeat soup, the gah, the food cubes, um, things like that. And just uh, whenever I finally get the green light to admit to the world what I'm working on is always such a relief to me because I can say, okay, other fans, tell me what you need. Like lay it on me, like put it on my list now or forever hold your peace. Like this is your chance. Uh, <laughs> and then it's, you know, a combination of things that I think sound cool. Um, and maybe things that over the years I've sort of earmarked on Pinterest as weird looking or cool or unusual flavor combinations um, and trying to find something in world that fit with those. And then at some point I do sort of a master balancing of everything. And um, you know, if it turns out we only have two breads, but eight soups, like you need more bread. Um, so try to do that. And, you know, do you have loaves? Do you have buns? Do you have, bread sticks do you like what forms do bread come in uh, <laughs> things like that and just sort of you know are there enough vegetarian options are there enough gluten-free options are there things like that um because I, I do want there to be something for everybody ideally um it's harder for the vegetarians in game of thrones it turns out but, uh <laughs> i'm doing my best uh, but yeah and so then then it's just sort of a that's all the, before I ever get to the kitchen, but really is, is many, many lists um, and a lot of research. Um, and I also, for this one, also I did, you know, like, do we have a Bajoran food? Do we have, obviously we have Klingon food. We know shockingly little about Vulcan cuisine. It turns out I learned during my research, which I don't understand because that seems like we should know a lot more uh, given the popularity and the longevity of that particular yeah. species. I feel like the only things we know about the Vulcans is that they eat soup and they hate Italian food. That's really all we seem to yeah. know about them. Yeah. And they're probably vegetarians, but maybe not all of them. Like jury's still kind of out on that one. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's fascinating that, you know, the detail that you get in some areas and the utter lack of detail in others. Um, so then it's straight into the kitchen and, you know, roll your sleeves up. <laughs> and I got to say, too, there are some deep cuts in this book. Like you mentioned, like where you're going, like I was shocked to see some stuff that's in this book. I mean, uh, there's animated series. There's actually like stuff from the books. I'm like, what? what? I don't yeah. even know this stuff. Like. That that's like legit deep. I, I'm shocked yeah. you went there, but I guess that's like from from scouring memory memory beta probably to find right, that stuff, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. And saying some of those, I think the Kimden rolls, uh, especially. I was like, I just really, I need something betazoid, and I need more red. You know, is that issue? And I was like, this is both. You know, so uh, even if it's sort of an obscure source, like roll with it. Uh, yeah, seriously. <laughs> Slow clap, slow clap. Yeah, no, it's really cool. I mean, that you did that, and yeah. <laughs> really, you went that. You really legit went the extra mile. And, and I'll just talk about bread by the way. I'm just like thinking in my head, 
why don't the Ferengis eat like pretzels? Because they're already shaped like their earlobes. Like they could just market that so well. <laughs> oh, I love that. That would be great. Well, you can I'll, I'll for the next book. for uh, the next one. About that. All yours. <laughs> Give me credit. <laughs> yep. Yep. Mail me some pretzels while I write it too, please. Um, but yeah. yeah, besides that, yeah. I mean, yeah. So this every way- time of year for pretzels. Oh, got to Oh, hate. yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, as I mentioned, you first you did that research. Now you're into the kitchen. So what yeah. does that look like? Because a lot of times, too, I mean, you don't really know what the heck goes into this food. I mean, it's one thing to look at, like Enterprise right. where they got chef and chef is making fairly standard contemporary looking food. Right. Yeah. But then we look at like, you know, TNG food or anywhere else. And it can be kind of out there. And, and half the time it's not even anything that's like really meant to go together or taste good. It's just there to look right. alien. Exactly. So, you know, like how do you actually not figure out what the heck things are? And does it matter to you to stay close to how something looks on screen? It definitely does. Um, I always love when there's an on-screen reference. Um, and it, I've hunted for many of them. Uh, like the the Tilleman Froth cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's ordered four or five times. They name drop this in the one episode. And you never see the drink. It's infuriating. <laughs> um and, you know, the memory alpha gives you the citation. So I pull up the episode and I roll through it, you know, and it, the, there we are. And nope, we just, and maybe, maybe they made one at some point. It, you know, left it on the cutting room floor or what have you. But I love when there's a visual reference because that gives me so much more to go on in terms of what goes into it, how it should look, what it does. You know, the, um, oh, I always forget the name of it. The, the color changing when you tap it. And it is like uh, sunburst, starburst, not starburst. Oh, the, the yeah, it's the. Uh, I can't remember. I know exactly what you're talking about. Though. I can't remember. Either. Yeah, yeah, next gen. Um, but uh, I desperately wanted to do a version of that, uh, and never quite couldn't quite get there. Um, so, you know, you need CGI in the kitchen, I suspect. <laughs> but some color changing cocktail would have been fun. So that's that's on my list for the next round too. If I ever get one. So. <laughs> The visuals, things like Plomique soup, um, we see like four different colors of it throughout different series. Uh, yeah. I went with the one I thought was prettiest, was the sort of the pink color from uh, Nurse Chapel's version. Yeah. I especially do like your take on the Plomique soup. And I, I like how you're kind of like really, in some ways, I feel like you're challenging the taste buds of Trekkies yes. to, to make some real leaps here because it is food that is meant to be a little bit alien. And I'm wondering Definitely. how much that played into your decisions on what ingredients you use. Hugely. Yeah. Um, normally I just, it's enough to sort of defamiliarize something, you know, maybe you use parsnips instead of potatoes in a dish or something like that. And you're like, Oh, well, that's a little different. Not what I was expecting. Um, but something like Vulcan food, I think really does have to taste different, but still taste good. Um, and, I think the number of people I've seen who've made the Plomique soup say, wow, that's really, it's really different. And I'm very glad I've tried it, but I'm not sure that I'll make it a lot, uh, which is kind of exactly what I was going for. Like, because you, your taste buds are almost certainly not going to be similar enough to Vulcan taste buds, you know, such that the cuisine would be different, you know? Um, and I think that that's important to to take into consideration. Like, there's no telling, even between very different cultures, that their desserts would be sweet. You know, maybe their main course is sweet, and their desserts are very salty. You know, it's just conceptually, we we wouldn't know. I think 
Um, so I always try to play around with what's expected and really bring something new. That's one of the best things about it. And I feel like, you know, you did that in the Star Wars book, but mm. in Star Trek here, you push it even more. And I think it's really cool because it really does make folks think of food in a different way. Because it's not just like we said earlier, how it is an alien kind of thing, the Plomix soup or plenty of the other things in there, like the Gah. We'll talk about that a little bit too. You know, all the Klingon things. But I mean, yeah, like it does kind of change, I think, what you think about food. And I think for a lot of folks, they probably view food as one certain thing. A lot of folks probably just only view it as nutrition. They don't really think of it as an experience. And you're, you're really... It feels like this book, yes, you're making meals and things, and you have meal plans even, but I feel like it's more about the experience of being in part of the Star Trek world. Is that, is that kind of what you're going for? Absolutely. Yeah. And it, you know, the, the idea behind this book is that it's sort of to foster understanding through food across the Federation and allies and a little beyond, um, frenemies, uh, <laughs> sort of to, to, you know, in theory, if you have, a visiting diplomat and your replicators are down or something, you know, like what can you whip up uh, in an emergency or um, what can you maybe learn about say the Vulcans by trying Plomate soup. Um, and I think that that's, we see a little bit of that in um, enterprise, I think where, you know, they're always trying to get to Paul to, you know, try the pecan pie or yeah. a different kind of tea or, and she does cave ever so slightly, you know, and it, Turns out maybe it's not quite so bad as you thought in the beginning. Um, and I love that, that it's it's a coming together through food. Yeah, I'm going to give you another recipe too now. Seven of nine key lime cheesecake. <laughs> you got the green color for the Borg and she loves it. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, yep. I'm, I'm making my own book now. Right? On top there, yeah, oh yeah, totally, totally. Yes, <laughs> yes, please. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up too because like, yeah, I feel like with food in general and no matter where you go around the world too, like, Everywhere you eat, the food's going to have its own kind of soul. It's got its own personality, and that's what makes it unique to where you're going, what you're eating. So yeah. we're talking about Star Trek here. So what is the core to the recipes that you're doing here? Because this is going through all four quadrants of the galaxy. We're talking Starfleet here. So is there like a core value or some kind of thing that you start with and that helps you branch out and figure out what you're doing, what you're making, and how you're going to make it? In terms of the actual recipes or the overall notion? I guess it's a two-part question then, isn't it? Because yeah. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. <laughs> Yeah. Um, the recipes, I think, I don't necessarily think of the bigger picture so much when working on the actual recipes. Um, for those, I really just want, you know, I want it to be authentic to the world, to taste a little unexpected and different, but in some cases, very, very good. Um, and uh, maybe challenge people's expectations, just make it make it fun for the overall Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, I'm trying to sort of take you on an adventure in your own house, I think. Uh. <laughs> I like that. Yeah, it's a good, it's a great way to put it. And, uh, you know, since you did mention a few minutes ago, I do want to shout out one more time to the uh, Starfleet food rations. I love that you did those weird little, they're just like acrylic blocks back yeah. when they filmed the original yeah. series. And like, you actually made them and they're edible. <laughs> and like maybe some food colored melon, I think I read somewhere. Occasionally, yeah. Like, okay, cantaloupe, like technically... Green, blue, cantaloupe. Okay. Because like, the melon baller was a big deal back then, too. So. Right. Yeah. <laughs> that was like the latest invention for, for culinary things. Yes. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, those those obviously had to go in. That was on the short list of, uh, I will have let myself and everyone else down <laughs> if I can't crack this recipe. Um, so that one took a long time. That was one of the most tricky recipes to really 
get right. Because sometimes, you know, they just sort of blob. You mm. need them to be the cubes, you know. The, the cube is non-negotiable um, when it comes to that particular recipe. But uh, I really like the way they came out. And they're, they're a lot of fun to make and instant recognition. You know, if you're having a, a premiere party or something, and you put those on the tape. It's like, boom, now, now we have Star Trek food. Yeah, no, that's easily one of my favorite recipes in the book. Like that's, that's a must do. Like it's worth giving a shot to making that one. Nice. Um, but yeah, since you mentioned that one was like one of the harder ones to do, I'm curious, like what recipe was the one that you just nailed right away and you were like, boom, done, mic drop. And Ooh. what was the recipe that just took forever and went through so many changes and that your poor husband had to keep eating again and again? <laughs> shout out to him. We should mention he was your yeah. taste tester. <laughs> yes, very much. Um, no, it, everyone, I think, thinks that the uh, being married to a cookbook author is a glamorous, well-fed lifestyle. And I'm here to tell you that it is not. <laughs> um, it is a long-suffering and, and patient occupation. Um, the job perfectly suited for O'Brien. Yes, <laughs> exactly. So the food cubes of recipes that actually made it into the cookbook, the food cubes were definitely um, one of the longer test periods, um, most tested, um, easy, easy wins. The Katarian pudding, um, very straightforward and delicious. Um, I actually made that for a cooking demo recently, uh, for the cookbook. And it, I was just like, Oh, Oh, this, <laughs> I think I blocked it from my memory as like only make this when you can feed it to other people. Cause you'll eat the whole thing. And that's not, good for anyone um ones that got away the jumja sticks i'm still i'm still annoyed about that one uh i made them once and they were perfect they looked amazing they were on the sticks they were the right shape they tasted great and i don't know if i just never wrote down what i did or the draft didn't save or something but i could never make them again uh i tried so many times even just down to the deadline um for the the cookbook submission and I just couldn't quite. So that's on my, my bucket list to conquer at some point in the future. Yeah. I was going to ask about the Junja sticks. Cause I was like looking through and I was like, it's gotta be in here. And it wasn't. And I was so sad. And like, say, I, know, you know, I, know. I don't, I don't think there's a jambalaya recipe in, in this one either. Um, there's which, not. No. Yeah. Which I would have loved yeah. to have seen. Um, but yeah, you know, since we're talking on the subject, I mean, I don't know what you can or can't say, but what yeah. was left on the cutting room floor? The Junja sticks were the big one. The, um, I should preface it too, so I don't get you in any trouble either. Things that if you want to do a sequel, you want to maybe keep as a proprietary secret, eh, keep it to yourself. But, you know, whatever you're comfortable sharing. I'm going to kick it to Reddit the moment I get the green light if I ever get to do another one of these. So uh, it'll get tossed around there. Um, I hate working in secret. I hate it. Uh, (laughs) I'm no good at that kind of secret. Um, But the um, Vulcan Romulan uh, mollusks uh, was also on my list. Um, oh, I'm digging deep here. Got to get through Westeros and back to <laughs> Federation. Leave um, the House of the Dragons and go yeah. to Starfleet Academy. <laughs> the uh, Yigrish cream pie. Uh, that was one. I always really liked the name. Um, and I think we, for that, we maybe don't see it. But I had, I had earmarked in my uh, mind doing like a big puffy meringue topped pie for that. Um, never quite got there. Um, thinking Mollusk Jumja sticks, the, uh, the color changing cocktail I really wanted to do. 
something from that uh, that blue the dinners at Undiscovered Country. Oh uh, yeah, I love that, that scene. Big, that big feast where everything's blue and it's like <laughs> fairly horrifying. Um, <laughs> I I didn't get enough blue food into this one. Um, I always like doing the. Uh, I think, as I mentioned for Star Wars, the blue butterfly pea flower tea, yeah. uh, to get a nice blue color, but that turns purple if you add it to any kind of acidity. So <laughs> I was trying to do a, a blue, like a blue pickled onion as a, a cocktail garnish, maybe. Um, and it, you know, pickles uh, vinegar. So immediately turns to purple. And then it just didn't, it felt like cheating somehow to just put food coloring in. Um, yeah. But I mean, and that's, like talk about nitpicking. That is such a little tiny annoying detail that clearly still bothers me. It turns out I've just, been, uh, so. I mean, food is one of those weird things though, where it's like a little thing can change everything completely. And like, yes. yeah. like I learned a while ago, like if you try to combine uh, the, the juice of plums, I guess with mint, it just tastes like nothing. It, they just completely neutralize each other apparently. Oh, I love that. I'm going to take a most, note of that. I've got to try that. Bizarre thing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, in this case, too, let's talk about things that maybe didn't quite taste as good. And I do want to talk about things that are good, because I want people to buy this book. Let's get that straight here. But, you know, yeah. uh, again, your, your poor husband, he's the taste tester here. He's grinding yeah. it up for all of us, for our sakes. Uh, what are some of the things that went through? I guess let's say, you know, we said things that are hardest to make, but in terms of flavor profile, what was the, uh, in enterprise terms, the longest road to get to Flavortown? <laughs> well, uh, I think some of the trickiest to translate uh might have been the blood pie, Roque blood pie. Yeah, which is a great recipe. Um, oh my god! I've, I'm, yeah, we'll talk about the Klingon stuff in a second. But wow, that's, yeah. that's a recipe. I mean, you see that one on screen, and you're like, "Wow, Klingon food is gnarly." Look at that. And then you look up, like, what did they use on screen? And it's like butterscotch pudding and raw beets and like cranberry juice over the top. Let me tell you what that is not. That is not an <laughs> edible dish. Uh, so how do you how do you take something like that? keep the essence and appearance of it, but turn it into a food that you can eat. Um, so things like that were very tricky. Um, that's the big standout one for um, just sort of very weird that took some doing. I'm sure there were a couple others. Let's jump off that one, in fact, because that's actually yeah. a pretty good recipe to talk about. And it leads into my, I, I want to talk about the Klingon food because like, yeah, that, that stuff to me is like amazing what you did with those recipes. Like, yeah, the blood pie, that's nuts. Uh, you did Gach, and like I love your interpretation of it because uh, I think you know Gach is covered in the other the other I'll just call it the other Star Trek cookbook. Yeah. Uh, they cover a lot of things, but the way you cover it is just so much more interesting. Honestly, like you, you like I said, you challenge taste buds, and like yeah. it's a really good recipe. And I love that you used uh, you know folks by the book, but you used udon noodles instead of the worms. That's like the perfect textural choice. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Klingon food is a tough thing to translate. Let's talk about the work you put in to make these things what they are because they are they are worth it. They're great stuff. Cool. Yeah. No. Um, so that one, I didn't want it to be just noodles, you know, uh, but call out both, I think, to the original cookbook and um, what they've used on set periodically uh, to make it edible when you don't want live serpent worms, for example. Uh, and um, But I still I wanted it to be more than just noodles. You know, I, I thought it had to have something chewier, something meatier, something that makes it more than noodles. So I do sort of like a, an extruded meat noodle kind of a thing. I'm glad you uh, didn't. So in every bite, you get that sensation of both chewy meat and slimy 
noodle kind of texture. Um, and with the uh, the grapok sauce, giving it that bright red color over top, it's just like, oh, this is very weird, <laughs> but in, I think, the good way. And that is one of those cool things, too. Like you mentioned earlier with some of the other books, too, how, you know, if you have uh, an ingredient, you're going to use it multiple times. But there are yeah. a lot of, like, essentially, um, weird to say it, but there's a lot of, like, mother sauces for Star Trek right. stuff here, which you incorporate throughout things. So it's like, yeah. you know, you're basically giving folks a lesson on how to cook, too. Uh, right. Which, which I admire. I appreciate you doing that. So... Uh, this kind of leads into my next thing, and that's if someone out there is like a novice chef, does not know what they're doing, but they want to get this book because it's Star Trek, it's cool, and maybe they want to give it a shot to entertain yeah. or f- for themselves, what should they try to make for the very first time? What is something that's like easy and going to come out right that anybody can handle? I think the the soups are pretty low effort. Um, if the plomeek soup is a little too weird, I think the bolian tomato soup uh is a really good contender because it's it's not a far cry from an, a normal quote unquote earth tomato soup, um, but uh, it has a little extra and it's a little it's a little different, um, but very straightforward. I think that one's just one one pip on the difficulty rating, so not too bad. Yeah, and thanks for reminding me of that because yeah, all the recipes are ranked by pips, so that's yeah. everybody out there wants to know. Like, <laughs> it's a, even a Star Trek way to let you know how hard or how easy something is. Which, yeah. Perfect touch. Again, this is what we're talking about. Like, this is a total immersion in a cookbook, which is so great. <laughs> well, and I had fun with those, too. Um, you know, I, I always round up for difficulties, so um, don't necessarily be scared off if it's three or four pips. Um, I sometimes round up just for complexity uh, mm-hmm. rather than actual difficulty. Or if it has a, an unusual ingredient you've got to go find somewhere, I'll round it up in terms of difficulty. Um, Something like the the quadro triticale salad is not in and of itself super complicated, but it does have like four different components that you then put on the plate all together. Um, so it, it takes a little bit of forethought, a little bit of planning maybe to prep that one. But, oh, I love the picture for that one so much. <laughs> oh, yeah, and the photographs too. Shout out to the photographer. Beautiful, beautiful photos in there. Everything Thank looks you. so great. Yeah. 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 Uh, so start to finish, how long did this book actually take you to make from like recipe one to handing over your final manuscript? Um, it's been, I think the kickoff call was about two years ago. Wow. Um, so it was about a year of working pretty intensely on it. Um, and is that a year of just like purely devoted to the Star Trek cookbook? Mostly. Yeah. And it wasn't, you know, it was maybe six to eight months of cooking pretty regularly. Um, wow. but, uh, well, like I mean, there are always some sort of stragglers and go back and retest a few things. It wasn't, it wasn't like the game of Thrones, like yeah. every day you never leave the kitchen. Um, but, uh, and you know, there's a lot of research on the front end and a lot of editing on the tail end and, um, you know, re-photographing things if need be as time allows. Um, so yeah, yeah, not too bad. And then, then there's the big long wait, you know, it, it's done, it's dusted, it's uh, it's out of my hands, and then we just wait. We wait, yeah. and we wait, and we wait, and then we finally get to the book release and the exciting part where I get to talk about it. Finally. <laughs> uh, yeah. Now, important thing here, did Paramount or any higher Star Trek officials, do they have any say in what went on in the book, or is this pretty much like free reign, do what you want? It was mostly free reign. It was vetted, wow. um, you know, and a couple of, uh, couple of things in the head notes periodically were either flagged as um you know prove it kind of a thing when it came to claims about language or we need to see a citation 
for this kind of a thing. Um, but as I went, I also kept citations so that I could refer back and say, well, actually in this episode of this series, uh, this is where we see it. And that's what it's called. And uh, let me do my job. Well, kind of a thing. So <laughs> I don't like oversight much and problems with authority. Same, same. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, I'm no delightfully. Um, I was pretty much given free reign and they liked what I delivered. So it was very positive experience overall. I think people also maybe don't necessarily think of a cookbook as maybe having that much lore, but there's actually quite a lot of lore in this now that didn't exist before. So, <laughs> um, but it's, I also had a fun chance to play with that, you know, like the, the food cubes not only now have a name, but uh, I've hopefully linked memory alpha and memory beta because they're now inspired by the Andorian Gristera cubes. Uh, but are not those, uh, cause they're clearly a Starfleet thing. So, um, cause that bothered me. I was like, how do we not know what these are? They're the most recognizable Star Trek food. Like, how do they not have a name? That's bizarre. Um, so I, I had to noodle that one for a while. I was very, very perplexed. <laughs> I love that you noodled that one. Just so many food puns this episode. It's great. Uh, yes. <laughs> I just love to, you know, you're talking about all the lore of this, and then there's all the data that goes into the book, too. I'm oh, throwing that one for you. So I see what you did there. Next, next interview you do, make sure you throw that one in there, too. I'm giving you that one. Yes. Give me gold it. today. But, yeah, I mean, oh. so what are, what are the chances of there being a sequel? I know the book just came out, but, I mean, there's still so much more you could do. And, and what you've done, too, is pretty astonishing. So, like, do you want to do a sequel? Do you, I mean, I don't really think you've done any before, but, like, is this something that you think can continue to go on? Oh, I would love to. Um, one of the things that really bothers me about a cookbook that – is pulling from current media is that it's outdated. The moment I hit send on that email with mm. the draft, you know, I'm sort of bitter. Nobody sent me screeners of strange new world because Pike is cooking every time we see him in his quarters. And it's just like, look at that food. That is a man who knows how to cook. Uh, so I, you know, people are clamoring on Twitter for just a Pike cookbook. So I think we we might have to revisit with uh, some of his recipes. Um, but they've also, I mean, in that too, the the stylist has done such an amazing job making incredibly enticing looking food while still sort of doing a visual callback to the original series um, in terms of color and you know, throw the horned melon on the platter and you know, things like that. Um, so it's a lot of fun. Uh, and we, you know, I, I didn't get to include anything from prodigy. Uh, I think we had only had the first season of lower decks out. Um, maybe the second, maybe the second. Um, but that's still going obviously. And we'll get more Picard and we'll get strange new worlds and more discovery. And there's just so much food and I'm loving it. So Chelsea, you know, I'm curious, this is just kind of an overarching question for the many, many books that you've written, but are there any foods from your personal life that ever snuck into any of these cookbooks? Hmm. It mostly goes the other way. Um, I'm sure the answer to that is yes. I can't think of an exact example, but I'm positive. Yes. <laughs> and what would you say we should look out for? Is it like a certain flavor? Yeah. yeah. Um, well, the 
I guess the Qatarian pudding is maybe a little uh, little throwback to my childhood. Uh, it's peanut butter base. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I'm a big carb fan. So I always start with the breads, the desserts, the drinks. Uh, and that's always a problem when you're doing a whole cookbook because then you're left with like 20 main courses and <laughs> side dishes you've got to test through. And it's not as much fun as the desserts. But <laughs> Yeah, you know, it is disappointing that nobody in Starfleet seems to know what macaroni and cheese is. Like that, that should be in the lower decks. Someone, they need to that throw it should in there. be. You know, they've got nachos and cheese sauce and stuff. So yeah, you should make a petition. <laughs> so yeah, besides that, the Star Trek cookbook, which just came out, and everybody should check out. Um, what else are you working on these days? I mean, you mentioned another Game of Thrones. I don't know what you're allowed to say, but yeah, uh, you know, yeah, what, no, what else can you tell us uh, you're doing these days? It's a second Game of Thrones cookbook. Um, it'll be sort of a little more Targaryen leaning. Um, uh and after that who knows that should be wrapped up in the next month or so so we'll see uh what the next year or so brings also lower decks uh i believe does actually have lobster mac and cheese but only in the officer's replicator if memory serves so there you go (laughs) that's devotion right there that's knowledge (laughs) i don't don't care about starship statistics i want to know about lobster mac and cheese that's right that's what i want I am very obnoxious to watch the shows with at this point. Uh, it's I have very long-suffering friends and family. So. <laughs> and yeah, throughout the different cookbooks you've done, you've covered a lot of big fandoms. Is there any fandom you haven't done yet that you want to do? I think Lord of the Rings could be very cool, uh, especially if um, Rings of Power sort of finds its stride, uh, which is a little shaky at the moment. Beautiful visually, like you know, what does the food of Numenor look like? What is the the food of all the various elf strongholds look like? What do the dwarves eat before, uh, you know, the, the fall? Uh, so I don't know. I, I think that'd be really fun to eat. Harfoot picnic, like would be incredible. Would that be so good? Lots of really good food. Um, so it's, we'll see. That'd be sort of a bucket list. I've done a, a small collection of Shire recipes but um nothing for the larger world of middle earth yeah i can definitely tell just from what you've done with game of thrones and all of the other sword and sorcery stuff like that would be perfect that'd be so cool to see you do some stuff with that so i hope that comes true fingers crossed yeah yeah <laughs> or hobbit's toes crossed whatever works right um, yeah hairy toes crossed <laughs> <laughs> mm, tasty uh <laughs> pickled hobbit's toes Ooh, there's, there's a <laughs> recipe no one should ever make yes. um so uh chelsea Weird question, but I always throw this to my guests here. Uh, yeah. And I feel like, you know, we chat about food. It's going to be kind of out of left field. But, uh, you know, I'd like to know most valuable piece of advice someone has ever told you about life or maybe about cooking or maybe something that combines those mm. two things together that, that you still think about and use today. Cool. I feel like I definitely have one of these answers, too. But I think just sort of a general, like, don't be afraid uh, kind of a sentiment. Like, don't be afraid to change recipes or test things out in the kitchen. Don't be afraid to go try a new hobby. Don't be afraid to put yourself out there in the world and, you know, tell your dreams to Twitter. Uh, Cause you never know what might come from that. Um, you know, I, 15 years ago, literally never would have seen myself here. Um, and so it's just putting yourself out there into the world and seeing what comes to you, I guess. Um, sort of a general, general vibe. That's really good, though. That's good for just general life and also just for creatives out there. It kind of fits yeah. everything. So that's yeah. perfect. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so last thing, Chelsea, what's the best thing about being a part of the Star Trek universe? Um, 
Well, I feel like I technically, I think, wrote myself into canon with that introduction in the cookbook. <laughs> uh, and I, every time I think about it, it makes me smile. Um, <laughs> and I think it's just like, oh, wow. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, if, if we're following the uh, sort of the predicted arc of the world as told by Star Trek in the future, um, there are dark days ahead, but... Can you imagine how amazing it would be to have a future as hopeful as the one we see in Star Trek, um, where we're exploring and and learning things, and that's that's our main mission, and nobody goes hungry, uh, and you know it's just um, so. I think that would be it would be incredible, even given everything they either predict or happens in the Star Trek timeline. Um, I think it would be amazing if we we get anywhere near that kind of a future um, where it's it's a very hopeful message, I think. And that's maybe what makes Star Trek so appealing. Um, everybody loves a good dystopian story from time to time, but you don't want to live in one. Uh, <laughs> you want to hope that you're in the, the good timeline. Um, so I think that's that's probably the big one. Good answer. So everybody, once again, check out the Star Trek cookbook. We're going to have links to it uh, in our show notes and on YouTube. So make sure you guys check it out, pick it up. Totally worth it. And, you know, like we said, there is that other Star Trek cookbook, but this is absolutely its own thing. I mean, you've really set yourself apart uh, with the type of recipes that you're doing, the type of food that's in there, the type of cuisine. And uh, just like, like I said earlier, throughout the show, like you're really challenging folks to think about food in a different way that the other book didn't do. That was kind of vanilla. This is spicing it up. So uh, you know, you did some really cool work with this, and all of your cookbooks are a lot of fun. Uh, so I really cannot wait to see what else you do. Um, and again, everybody, buy the Star Trek cookbook for real. I, I don't just uh, give that out lightly. It's it's a great, great piece of work. So, uh, Chelsea, thank you so much. Uh, and yeah, I cannot wait to eat what you do next. That's actually the proper thing I should be saying. There we go. All right. It's a deal. Well, let me know uh, how your food cubes come out. <laughs> Very square. That's how. Perfect. <laughs> that's it for this week's episode of Trek Untold. Until next time, don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Trek Untold, all one word. If you'd like to directly support this podcast, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter over on patreon.com slash trekuntold, which gives you access to some great perks that can't be beat. Or pick up some merchandise from our store, or use my Amazon shop link to check out all kinds of different Star Trek merchandise. Links for all these things are in the show notes. Shout out to Triple Fiction Productions for being a key sponsor of Trek Untold. Don't forget to check them out and all of the fine folks whose ads you've seen or heard on this podcast, too. If you have any questions, feedback, or comments for the show, or would like to suggest a guest or discuss sponsorship options for any of these episodes in the future, send me a message at trekuntold at gmail.com. I hope to see you here again as we uncover more untold stories from Star Trek and beyond and get to know even more amazing people who have contributed to this ever-expanding universe. Until next time, I'm Matthew Kaplowitz, and remember, fortune favors the bold. Trek Untold is sponsored by Treksphere.com. Promoting fan-produced Star Trek content in all forms is powered by the Rageworks Podcasting Network and is affiliated with Nerd News Today.